It's Farmer Friday on Ag PhD Radio. Thanks for joining us today. We are broadcasting from the Morton studio today, taking your calls and agronomic questions at 844-44-AG-PHD. And of course, you can always send us an email, radio at agphd.com. I'm in the studio and right outside, snowflakes are starting to fly. The temperatures are going down. It's the change of the seasons here around our farm, and uh, I'm just curious what's happening around yours, and if you've got any agronomic questions, we'd love to help. All right, Brian's out and about a little bit today. Uh, Brian, you know, Farmer Friday is is always a fun time. You never know what's going to come up for topics, so I'll give you the chance to throw the first curveball here. Is there anything different you want to talk about? Um, I would say we've gotten the most questions about soil fertility lately. And I, I think there are a lot of people questioning what they should do for fertility when it's this expensive. But the way I look at it is everything should always come back to what's return on investment. And since commodity prices are so good, I just think return on investment could be pretty decent. You just want to do a good job soil testing. And then if you don't know how to read the soil test, send them to us. Well, I mean, we can sure talk it through. But I would just say most of the soil tests we see, it's going to be really hard to cut back if you want great yields. you got to have the, the phosphorus and the potassium out there. And you could, I mean, for most people, they need sulfur. And then you might need just a few dollars worth of micronutrients, not much. But, I, I mean, it's going to be hard to cut back on fertility if you want great yield. And when you look at how good these prices are, I'm not cutting back on fertilizer. I know that much. No, that's for sure. Hey, speak of fertilizer here. Uh, let's dive into the Ag PhD mailbag real quick, Alex. It's the mailbag! We got this one from Charles, and he said, Guys, I want to establish some alfalfa, and I just got my soil test back. We're a 5.9 CEC here, and we've got pHs down in the upper fives, 5.8, 5, 5.9 across the board here. Uh, what do you think about lime? How quickly will that will get to work. Do I need to lime a year before I do alfalfa or can I just start right into yeah. the alfalfa? And then they're recommending about uh, a ton and three quarter ton and a quarter to a ton and three quarters of, of uh, lime out in the soil. What do you think about that? Does that sound about right? Okay. Ideally, yes, I would want to lime it a year in advance because your first year that lime isn't going to fully come available. Even if you get the finest possible product you can you can buy so i mean you want to buy the super fine grade okay do that first but if you can put the lime out a year in advance then your first crop is going to be dramatically better and you want to get your crop off to a great stand because alfalfa is going to be in there for several years well if you have a junk first year and not all the plants are doing well what does that mean that means that most likely you're going to have more weeds you're going to have a less healthy crop, and it's not going to survive as long. So, nope, if it's me, I'd be liming first. We've done it the other way, and I, I just don't advise that. All right, a couple other questions that he's got. He, he said, I'm shooting for a pH of 6, 8 to 7. Is that about where I should yep. be for this rotation? Okay. And then he said, the other thing is, the tricky part about using your fertilizer removal app is, what yield number do I put in there for first year? And a lot of guys uh, in our area that are doing really good are getting eight tons or more per acre per year, but uh, but that's not first year. Do you have a number well, that's kind plus, of a rule of thumb? 
Yeah, plus that's not dry matter. you got to look at dry matter. It's how many tons of dry matter are we talking, not total. So, in other words, not counting the moisture, because that 8 tons is counting the moisture, I'll guarantee you. So, yeah, you got a couple things going on. First of all, I would say we want to look at over the life of your stand, especially let's call it the first three years. How much P and K are you going to remove? Ideally, we'd for sure like to get that phosphorus out there, even in the light soil. Potassium, yeah, it'll probably move enough in, in your light soil that you could do that every single year. But you definitely want to have that phosphorus built up and get it down in the ground year one because it just doesn't move well. So adding a little bit every year isn't going to be near as effective as putting let's say, even a two-year supply down in the ground where the roots need it before you, you seed that crop. Yeah, one thing you didn't have here, Charlie, with your soil tests are great, but you didn't have a sample of your lime. And back to Brian's point about uh, the fineness of the grade and the, the quality of that lime, that's going to really determine what you're going to do for a rate. So uh, I, I'd also say he asked the question about year one. A lot of times guys will figure half in year one half to maybe two-thirds at best. All right. Well, thank you so much, Charlie. Really appreciate the questions. Uh, I got this from Dave, and he said, Guys, I'm curious, have you ever looked at 15-inch row corn versus 30s? Uh, do you have any yield yep. data or just guidelines to, to give a guy thinking about that decision? Well, I would say if you look at all the people that have ever raised over 400 bushel corn, almost all that's been done at in 30-inch rows. Can it be done in 15s? Sure, 15s make a lot of sense, but you also have a lot more cost, and you definitely want to have super, you want to have great disease tolerance in whatever hybrids you're planting, because you will have more disease in the narrow rows. Air is not going to move through there as well. The other thing is, if you're going to bump population, you better darn well bump your K, because if you don't have enough potassium out there, you're going to have a lodging issue like you can't believe. Yeah, there are a lot of other considerations besides just, okay, yeah, we changed the rows, but now what are we going to do for population? What right. are we going to do for fertility? All those kinds of things. And then you think and about disease management. Yep. You're not going to have as much air movement through that canopy, and you've got more chance that you could have more disease issues. And then residue right, exactly. management, that's, I mean, lots of things. Yeah, yeah, that's what I was saying about the air movement. The one really good thing, though, is you will have better weed control in the narrow rows. Yep, yep, there's pros and cons to every system, and, and you're right, you can make that work too. But do we have yield data that we would say, oh, here's exactly what it's going to be for a difference? No way, because there's just too many factors there. Variable. All right. Uh, oh, Tom had a comment for us. He said, guys, you were talking about plants and carbon dioxide and how plants are the solution for the carbon issue, uh, pulling in carbon dioxide. You really hit the nail on the head with this one. Hey, thanks, Tom. We really appreciate that. Yeah, the carbon discussion is a big, big deal. And the cool thing about agriculture is we're on the right side of this thing. Uh, when you look at the parts of our country that are really struggling with carbon dioxide levels going up, the Midwest is not one of them. Uh, we're, we're in a great spot with all the plants we got here. Stay tuned. We'll be right back. You can count on AgroLiquid for precision crop nutrition. When you don't get all your potash down in the fall, when weather or market prices change your management strategy, or when you want to balance your fertilizer program with micronutrients, AgroLiquid is ready with the products and application flexibility you want for in-season crop nutrition and the research-proven results you need. AgroLiquid. Apply less. Expect more. Find a retailer at agroliquid.com. 
It's smart to make the right agronomic choices, and it's even smarter to get rewarded for them. With the Bayer Plus Rewards Program, you earn cash back on seed, herbicides, and other eligible products. And it keeps getting smarter, because now you can earn an additional 10% bonus when you send your redemption check to your retailer. To learn more, contact your retailer today. Protect your yields and get the most from your land with Bayer Plus Rewards. Visit MyBayerPlus.com and see program terms and conditions for full details. Did you know soybean diseases like white mold and sudden death syndrome can survive in your soil even after rotating crops? Prevention of these diseases is a constant battle and yield loss from an infection can be devastating. The right management plan makes all the difference. Keep your beans safe with Heads Up Seed Treatment. Heads Up guards your seed from both white mold and SDS. Stay protected and profitable by asking your seed dealer for Heads Up. Learn more at HeadsUpST.com. At Corteva AgriScience, we want to keep farms healthy and productive, today and tomorrow. That's why we're investing in a robust pipeline of naturally derived biologicals. Meet Nutrition and Nutrient Efficiency Optimizer. It's a sustainable nitrogen fixation product that facilitates crop growth and optimizes yield potential. With the fluctuation in fertilizer prices, Utricia N is a reliable solution. It can be used alongside your traditional nitrogen program to enhance your ROI this year. For more information, visit Corteva.us. Farmer Friday on Ag PhD Radio. We're broadcasting from the Morton studio today, taking your calls and agronomic questions at 844-44-AG-PHD. Or you can send us an email, radio at agphd.com. Uh, I get this one in from Joe, and then uh, this is always kind of interesting to to all the things that we kind of take for granted uh, in agriculture and terms that we just throw around there and concepts we throw around and we just assume everybody else knows what they mean exactly because of course they would know all the same things I know. No, everybody's a little bit different. Joe's got a question. Are cash rent rates quoted in yearly timeframes or do they do something by the month? I see rates online that list the cost per acre to rent farmland, but they don't really talk about the time frame. So I'm just curious, uh, yearly, monthly, how do they do things here? Hey, Joe, it's a great question. And normally with cash rent rates on farming, it's on a yearly basis. Now, that certainly could change in areas that are farming year-round or raising multiple crops per season. Uh, like where we farm, for example, we're going to be uh, frozen for six months out of the year. So you kind of get a shot to raise one crop and, and maybe you have a cover crop or something like that out there. Um, it, it just it doesn't vary very much. But if you were in Florida, for example, and, and you could raise stuff a lot longer throughout the season, um, maybe maybe it would be different. But for the most part, it's a it's a 12 month contract or perhaps even a multi year contract. Thanks for the question. We really appreciate that. So yeah, when you hear, oh, it's $200 an acre cash rent, that that generally means for one year. Let's head out to Oregon right now. We've got uh, Bill on the line with us, uh, if I can pull him up here. Uh, Bill, how are you doing? Good. How are you? Not too bad. Not too bad. Uh, so how are things going out there? Well, you know, we're, we're uh, in a little bit of a drought here situation we've had for now for a couple of years, but um, where it's raining right as we, I'm standing out here in, in the rain, it's raining as we speak, but we're, uh, and we just, it, we're blessed to have a little moisture, but 
it's uh, not it hasn't got our groundwater levels up enough and we're fall fertilizing and and uh, trying to uh, make the most out of whatever moisture we have. You know, that's a great point. Uh, we, we can't really control the rain. I mean, unless you've got irrigation, uh, we, we, there's a lot of climate factors we can't control. So as farmers, we just try to make do with what we got. Uh, so you that's mentioned exactly get, right. getting that fall fertility out. What crops are you fertilizing for and uh, what, what tips would you have? Is there something different that you're doing versus if you're getting a regular rain every, every week? You know, we, we're having, we fertilize for, um, mostly hay crops and um you know we we're we get we get one cutting and if we get a little summer moisture which has been rare we get we get a second cutting but so we're we're uh you know a, a clover based and clover plantain that we plant and and uh, so we're seeding every year to put down uh we have a kind of a weird uh a mix of uh, that we're farming but it's uh we put in some Ethiopian cabbage last year and just as a to harvest it as a forage and uh it was a really interesting um uh, there's a seed grower up the valley that that does that that raises it and uh we went and did a farm tour and then we we decided that we'd try it it's pretty prolific and uh very nutritious and and different for us uh so we 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 gave it a we we planted couple hundred acres to it and it, it was uh in a real interesting experience and it's drought tolerant and that that was a big deal and and uh it does well uh you know in in drought situations so that's we we're trying we're always looking for new new forages and new things to plant that'll that will get along with what uh what we're given uh by the creator so we're we just whatever they you know the weather throws our way we try to we try to react to it I love the idea of, hey, let's check some new things out. Maybe there'll be something that'll be even better. And then you timed it just right, too, of you hit it on a drought year, and it looks like they're still calling for more La Nina, correct? So that, that probably yeah, means you're yeah. going to stay dry. Yeah, we're, we're, uh, I, what worries me the most, and we've had quite, in the last 10 days, we've had, we've had reasonable, uh, our November so far is about normal, but what, uh, but what worries me is there's the the groundwater is so low that by normally by now we see the springs starting to come back and and uh, the groundwater starting to flow. But so far we've had none of that. Wow, yeah, that's that's a pretty bad drought. I know here too. We we had. Um, People are doing construction, digging holes that were down 10 feet, 12 feet, and not hitting moisture all the way. And I know a lot of the contractors right. are saying the same thing. This is a little unusual here. What's what's going on? But it yeah. just hasn't rained much for the last two years here. And I know where you guys are at, you you can't go that long without rain and, and not start seeing no, some problems. And this is a wet, this is designed, this country is, you know, the, the guys growing timber and we're, we have a, we have uh, uh, four or five hundred acres of timber that we that we uh, harvest on a regular basis, and and we're having some serious issues with with disease because of the lack of moisture. And and uh, this country is designed to our country is designed to be wet, and and we're not getting it. So talk to me more about this forage now. Uh, 
when you say we have Ethiopian cabbage that we're growing for forage, I would say 99.9% of our listeners probably aren't sure what that is exactly. So how, how big well, does it, that get and how do you harvest it? It, it, it really interesting the way uh, if you harvest it as it's growing, uh, if you let it mature, it'll get four or five foot tall. And, and, uh, and it, so you'll, you're going to need to, uh, almost, uh, we put a, a hay swather on it. Um, but we don't like the stalks to get too heavy because then when you go to baling it, um, it, it doesn't bale really well. So what we try to do is, is we, if we get the right, get it in the ground at the right time, it'll be three foot tall and, and sort of softer and younger. And, uh, and then it'll, it'll really makes great forage. And, and you know, what's, what's pretty cool. I had one of these kids that was working for me last, uh, last spring and he's walking through the pasture and he's just picking the leaves and eating them. And, and it's almost, you could put them straight into your salad. They have a little bit of a kind of a dusky taste to them and they're really good to eat. And, and, uh, I was really surprised. This is, uh, something our agronomist was, you know, he said, well, why don't you try this cabbage? And I'm, <laughs> and I, I, I was not, you know, just jumping up and down to try it, but I did. And, uh, you know, it's, it, seed costs were, were a little bit greater, but I, I think the, the volume of forage that we produced per acre is, was genuinely better than, uh, than, than what we have on other forages. And, and, and our, our ground is a little bit, you know, loamy and it, it will, the soil composition is, is suits it well. And like, we love to grow plantain and it, but it's very, it's very sketchy on, on what soil conditions it'll, that it'll really flourish in. So, um, but when it does, it does a, it, it has a symbiosis with some of the other forages that we raise with it that does really well. It's kind of neat when you can raise diverse species out there and, and do some different things. We're talking with Bill out in the state of Oregon about some of the different forage crops there. And, of course, you get a drought year where stuff doesn't quite get as big or quite ton out the way it normally would. But uh, glad to hear you're still fighting the fight, feeding that next crop that uh, hopefully is going to have a little more rain than this one had. Yeah, well, we, we sure, you know, we're blessed to be doing what we're doing. And, and uh, you know, I wouldn't, I wouldn't, change a thing as far as you know we just love our life and we love what we're doing and we love growing feed and and uh and you know and we love where it goes so it's just that's just the the nature of it and it's sometimes it's it's not as easy as other times no no that's for sure well bill thank you so much really appreciate taking the time to just explain a little bit about what you guys are doing out there it's really interesting well we sure appreciate you guys and what you do i mean i i record the tv series all the time and and it, you guys are tremendous assets to us. Oh, well, thank you so much, Bill. We really appreciate it. And uh, and good luck. Hopefully that rain keeps coming. All right. Take good care. You thank bet. you. You too. It's Farmer Friday on Ag PhD Radio. Our phone lines are open at 844-44-AG-PHD. We'll be right back.
Are you combining around weed patches, waiting for weeds to dry down, or tired of spring burndown failures? Save time, nutrients, and moisture by including a Valor herbicide brand in your fall burndown program. Valor provides excellent residual control of tough weeds, including kochia, mare's tail, prickly lettuce, dandelion, plus suppression of bromes. Proactive, effective weed resistance management starts in the fall. Get a clean start for your next season with Valor Herbicide Brands. Always read and follow label directions. It came on a night like any other. With power unlike anything else on Earth. Using beyond advanced active ingredients like bicyclopyrone, Acuron GT post-emergence corn herbicide is here to annihilate tough weeds. Advanced technology. Enhanced control. Talk to your Syngenta retailer about Acuron GT. Always read and follow label instructions. Get more durability for less downtime with Soil Warrior Strip Tillage from Environmental Tillage Systems. Improve fertilizer efficiency and reduce passes and fuel usage. Now that's ROI. Learn more about ETS at SoilWarrior.com. The Pentair Hypro Express Flush Valve reduces plugged nozzles and improves cleanout of your spray boom. Simply flush boom sections with a quarter turn ball valve and leave your tools in the cab. Plus, installation is easy. Simply remove the existing end cap plug and replace with the Hypro Express Flush Valve. Learn more at Pentair.com slash Hypro. If you understood everything on a soil test and could make your own fertility plan, do you think you could cut your farm's fertilizer expenses? Maybe you could increase your yields. Why not both? Hi, I'm Darren Hefty. We want to empower you to make your own fertility decisions. That's why we're devoting two full days to our Ag PhD Soils Clinic this year, January 10th and 11th at the Morton Center on our farm near Baltic, South Dakota. This could be the two most important days you spend in your farming career, and it's free. So register now at agphd.com. Pasture spraying season is upon us, and your spray window may be longer than you realize. Many weeds like musk thistle and Canada thistle are still able to be controlled after a few light frosts. If you've got some ground that's losing productivity to invasive weeds, turn to proven answers like Weedmaster and Burnmaster from New Farm. Go to newfarm.com forward slash US crop to learn more. The value of your farm building is in its ability to protect what's stored inside. That's why Morton Buildings ensures that every machine storage and insulated workshop we build will provide superior strength and durability. As a 100% employee-owned company, we're all committed to being the industry leader with a focus on innovation, service, quality, and most importantly, customer satisfaction. To get started on your next project, please visit mortonbuildings.com. Welcome back. It's Farmer Friday here on Ag PhD Radio. So our phone lines are open throughout the show to take your phone calls and agronomic questions at 844-44-AG-PHD. We've had a real interesting conversation with Bill out in Oregon raising some different crops out there. Uh, so we're heading to a different part of the country right now again, down to Mississippi. And you know what? Uh, Jeremy Jack is on with us right now, has been been on a number of times with us. Jeremy, good to have you back on. Great to great to be here today. How are you doing today? We're doing well, but uh, I'm a little concerned about what's going on with the Mississippi River. I'm I, you're probably getting asked this all the time with everybody you talk to that's out of the area. But w- what's happening down there from your standpoint? 
you know, it's just been a long, hot, dry spell, and uh, the lack of rain through the Midwest all the way through the basin has uh, uh, let the river not run dry, but get really close to it. And uh, most people don't realize is there's so much that in our world, our region, crops like soybeans, our infrastructure is set to harvest, put it on a truck, get it on a barge, and get it to New Orleans. Every day that delays, the, the crop's worth less. So great big grain bins that can hold an entire crop of soybean just don't exist in our world. So when the river runs dry and barges can't get pushed up and down or they shut the river down in the middle of harvest, there's just a backing up effect. And next thing you know, you've got every truck full, every grain cart full, every combine full, and everyone's sitting there going, uh-oh, what do we do? So a lot of beans got put in uh, bags, uh, older bins. Some people had storage. We had enough storage to hold all everything that we needed to and were able to continue the harvest. But here we are after harvest, the river's still low, and uh, they're, having, they're able to get some beans onto the, uh, the river, but it's, it's not like normal. It's not like we can just get all of it out. And you know as well as I do, Soybeans should be in the bank account right now, not in the in the grain bin. So cash flows and things like that, it's just a ripple effect across everything uh, that this has uh, had. And I, I don't see the it, – it's not going to change really rapidly. And there's a, also lime, uh, dry fertilizers, your P and K, diesel fuel, aggregates that make concrete, all that moves up and down that river every day. And there's just going to be a, it's kind of like shutting the hog plant down for a week and then open it back up where you've got a whole week's worth of hogs that never got slaughtered. You got to work with, catch up on before you get caught up to where you need to be. Yep. And I feel like it's going to have a ripple effect of, and the farming in the U.S., the, uh, the major part of the U.S., on already a challenging inflationary time. Yeah, no doubt about that. It's It's already a tough time and, uh, we've just gotten through a couple years of having some supply difficulties, and now uh, here we go. The supplies are there. We just can't move them, and that's going to change everything. And you think about the impacts on rail and on trucking, and uh, it just it just keeps going. Yeah, that's that's a challenge. So, well, fortunately, Jeremy, you guys were lucky enough. You got got you had room for everything, so you could at least get the crop off. Uh, so, how does that impact you? Now, I know we mentioned the the movement of fertility and those types of things up the river, but when you're at the bottom of the river, uh, is there good access to all that? It's it's tight. It's very very tight. There's numerous times to where we were putting fertilizer out, and it's just in time i would say is the best way to uh describe it uh the fertilizer that we need uh a couple of times we had to take all the tenders to the port to fill them all up to keep us going for a couple of days while the next barge came in uh and it just it costs more to do that it, the barge freight's gone higher so the price of the fertilizer on top of already being high the shipping and transportation costs is much higher so it's just it's it's making a bad situation like i said Worse, and at the same time, as you know, as I know, when P and K are so high, you you cannot put, you cannot afford, to, you're not going to get a return on your investment. So less product gets put out on your times like this. Fuel has been there hasn't been huge shortages, but there's been uh, 
uh, times to where, you know, it took an extra two or three days to get that transport truck load of fuel in. Need. So we just, we're having to manage it a lot tighter than we needed to. And there's, um, so that's the, uh, the big thing with the river is it's going to ripple out uh, throughout the next year. And hopefully we'll get some rain and we can catch up. But it's, it's, it's a challenge right now. You mentioned the fuel. What is the diesel price down there now? I was talking to somebody on the East Coast, and they said uh, we've got some fuel. That's guys are trying to charge eight bucks for diesel out here. Is that is it crazy like that down there? No, 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 no. We're, it's not crazy like that. As, as you know as well as I do, fuel is kind of like the the rest of the markets. It's it's changing rapidly, uh, and I would say the month of of uh, October, my average price what I bought was four thirty. Uh, it ranged in that for, for uh, 429 to 440 uh, to 440, but that's where it was been the month before. It was a dollar cheaper. <laughs> and, you know, the further we got into this year, the more expensive it got. And a year like this year, we've had very dry falls. So this year we had a very uh, last. Excuse me, the last few years we've had wet falls that which did not allow us to do a lot of projects, field work. Uh, that we normally like like to get done. This year we had a dry fall. Well, we want to take a chance of that opportunity of being dry and getting stuff done, projects on the farm, which i.e. turns to burning a load of fuel every other week uh, right, or a transport right. truck load of fuel a week. So it's you're stuck with that situation. If it was wet, the river would be up, diesel fuel would be cheaper uh, somewhat, and we wouldn't be burning it. Well, the river's down, diesel fuel's a little bit more expensive, but we had the chance to do it. You have to make that investment when you can. Yeah, absolutely. And and you mentioned the river being down. When's the last time you saw it this low? Was 2012 like this at all? 2012 was like this. I, but I don't believe it was like this that long. At least I don't remember it being an issue uh, as bad as it's been. Uh, there was numerous times to where every elevator was full and uh, there, everyone had to shut down for three or four days. And like I said, there's just not the uh, infrastructure for soybeans to be stored. They're, they're, they're made to get to New Orleans as quickly as possible and on a, on a freighter and off into the export market for us. Corn, there's storage for corn. There's cotton, we have, you know, you don't have to store. Rice, you had storage for, that's normal. The soybeans were the, the issue this year and it was a, a decent crop of soybeans and a good price on soybeans. So there's a lot of acres the other thing that's changed in the last five to ten years, as you know as well as I do, the combines have gotten much larger, much more efficient. Grain carts are bigger. Tractors are faster. We can get the crop out. And the planters are faster, so they're all coming ready at the same time, and they're all coming out at the same time. And the trucks in Mississippi can only haul up to 84,000 pounds. So the, the transportation is the issue that we're running into. Sure. Sure. Yep. There's always got to be that pinch point. And uh, yeah, you're right. We're getting all those operations in the field done that much faster, but uh, can everybody else keep up with how fast we can do things? Well, and this year too, we ran into trouble uh, in the upper Midwest here of soybeans getting too dry because we just couldn't get out there quick enough. Did you guys run into that too? That's a good point. I've never had that issue before in my life where we had dry soybeans and we're shipping beans out of our bins right now eight nine percent moisture i've never remember a soybean being below 10 i remember normally when you'd start in the middle in the morning they'd be you know 
16, 17, that first load might have to go into a bin. It might be a little too high moisture to go uh, straight to the elevator. You could dry it down if you do that every day. Send the first couple to the bins to dry. And then by the end of the day, you might be 12, 13 lowest. We yep. could have gone to the field at 8 a.m. and they were already at 8%. Yeah, what a and what a year. There's a yield loss uh, yes. due to that that I don't think a lot of people calculated out or we didn't realize. And at the same time, there's just really not a whole lot you can do about that situation. No, it, it was just a, it was a tough year for harvesting beans. There are a lot of dry beans out there. Well, uh, Jeremy, I, I know uh, it's kind of interesting. You know, when everybody else is in a drought, those impacts work their way down, and all of a sudden the river just dries up. There's nothing coming. So, well, hopefully for you guys, uh, things turn around because we we need it to turn around for all of us up here to the north <laughs> of you as well. Good talking to you today, Jeremy. Thank you. Take care. Have a good day. You bet. You too. It's Farmer Friday on Ag PhD Radio. We'll be right back after this. It changes everything. So says Indiana corn grower Nathan Davis about innovative Zyway LFR fungicide from FMC. Zyway brand fungicides are the first and only at-plant corn fungicides to provide unprecedented, season-long, inside-out foliar disease protection. Discover more grower and retailer success stories at zyway.ag.fmc.com. Always read and follow all label directions. If you've ever wondered how the Farmall got its name, here's an abbreviated list of the jobs the Case IH Farmall can do. Baling, cutting hay, feeding, hauling, loading, pulling, raking, cleaning barn, mixing feed, fertilizing, mowing, chopping, seeding, clearing, irrigating, furrowing, cultivating, hitching, digging, emergency tow, harrowing, hoisting, leading parades, excavating, grading. <sighs> Let's make it simple. This tractor does it all. So no matter what you're doing, can do comes in red. Farmall. Learn more at caseih.com slash farmall. When nematode pressure mounts, Seed Applied Trunemco provides assurance. Growers using Trunemco are seeing a difference. From early plant vigor to improved soybean and cotton yield, impressive results are everywhere, and we want to hear about yours. You could win $20,000 and be named a Trunemco Top Grower. Request your starter kit at newfarm.com forward slash top grower, but don't delay. Contest ends November 30th. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited. See full rules. Newfarm.com forward slash top grower. How can natural products help you raise bigger and better crops? I'm Darren Hefty. In recent years, natural products have exploded onto the market, claiming to improve soil health and plant development. There's a lot to sort through. That's why we're devoting a full day to our Ag PhD Naturals Workshop. It's Thursday, January 12th at the Morton Center near Baltic, South Dakota. Our research team has spent years testing hundreds of natural products, and we want to share with you what we've learned. For more about this free event, go to agphd.com. In a world of Veltima fungicide. Hey, let's do it less dramatic. Just say Veltima fungicide. Okay, Veltima fungicide. No, that's literally the same. Veltima fungicide. Still doing it. Veltima fungicide does it. Seriously, we just need you to say Veltima fungicide. Swift, simple, and secure. Didn't I? Veltima fungicide from BASF in cornfields this summer. Always read and follow label directions. Are you combining around weed patches, waiting for weeds to dry down, or tired of spring burndown failures? Save time, nutrients, and moisture by including a Valor herbicide brand in your fall burndown program. 
Valor provides excellent residual control of tough weeds, including kochia, mare's tail, prickly lettuce, dandelion, plus suppression of bromes. Proactive, effective weed resistance management starts in the fall. Get a clean start for your next season with Valor Herbicide Brands. Always read and follow label directions. You're listening to Ag PhD Radio, and we're taking your calls and questions here on a Farmer Friday at 844-44-AG-PHD. You can also email us, radio at agphd.com. It's exactly what Justin did. And I got a series of questions on strip till here. Brian, I will throw past you. You ready for him? Go ahead. All right. So Justin said, first of all, guys, I'm in the southeast corner of Iowa, and I'm in a corn and soybean rotation. My ground's about 3% organic matter and uh, upper to mid-20s for CEC, so kind of medium to to heavier soils. But I've got several fields with clay hillsides, and they've been dragging my yield down. And I'm thinking that strip-till might be uh, a good idea for me. And I'm just kind of curious. I'm wanting advice on how a fertility program looks from somebody that isn't trying to sell me fertilizer. Uh, my current thought would be to put out the necessary P and K for roughly 225 bushel corn in, in the strip. Right. Uh, do I just put enough for the grain production yep. and mix the micros in? How do you guys Probably. do that? Yeah. Um, I guess, first of all, we would soil test and just see if we actually need everything that you're talking about adding. But a lot of times in strip till we'll put out grain removal for kind of what we would consider the high end yield goal. If I'm normally getting 225, I'm putting out grain removal for 250 or 275, so I got a little bit extra just in case my yield goes up. And I, I like the idea of the strip till, let me just first say, because when we're talking tills, then you kind of get the best of both worlds. It's conventional till in little strips, and it's no till in big strips, basically, meaning you're going to have less erosion, and hopefully it's not going to just be a clay hill forever you're going to create new topsoil eventually but yeah coming back to the the micronutrients a lot of times in the strip till we don't do a whole lot sometimes we do but many times we just go okay we're going to put on a, a low rate micro blend with the planter and call that good uh, but let me also say sulfur is not a micronutrient so if you're thinking sulfur i would say like nitrogen and sulfur in a lot of cases, we just go broadcast those because they'll work their way down into the soil fairly quick. If you want to put a little bit on strip till, you absolutely can, but uh, definitely P and K. All right, here's the other thing, Brian, and and this is something to to think about. And um, again, we're taking this question from Justin down in southeast Iowa, who is looking at doing some strip till. He said, "Okay, so if I put out what I need for 225 bushel corn, but yet I raise say 250 or 275, something more than that, do you go back out with a broadcast application after harvest and try and fill it in, or how do you handle it?" Uh, I I didn't hear what you said, Darren. What oh. what was it? Oh, that's okay. Fill back uh, in what? If if you if you put on crop removal rates in that strip till band, what if yep. you get significantly yep. more yield? Do you go back out and broadcast to try and make up the difference, no. or how do you deal no. with it? No, no, you just I I I I don't I don't even worry about it, and that's where I come back to. Don't just put out two enough for two twenty five grain removal. You always want to put out a little more. That's my advice. 
because chances are your your soil isn't super well built up relatively deep where you're strip tilling anyway so i'd rather always be on the high side than the low side that's just my advice that also helps you overcome any problem soil issues like phosphorus tie up um magnesium too much magnesium causing a problem with potassium so yeah that's that's what i do all right the other the other side of this rotation is soybeans and for for Justin, he's asking, what about the, on the soybeans? They're, they're usually targeting 75 bushel beans the next year. And uh, to me, Justin, it doesn't sound like you're looking at strip-till for that. But on our farm, we like to strip-till for the beans, too. We found a really nice response with beans, putting that fertility right where that root system is going to be. Well, whoa, 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 though. Uh, you can't say that we've necessarily seen a really nice response. You could get really? by without fertilizing if you want to. Yes. We don't have any data showing that. Uh, so what I would hold on, is, hold yeah, on, hold we, on, hold on. We we used to raise 15 inch yeah, row soybeans, and we had a little more yield with 15 yeah. inch row beans because they were partly because they were able to find all the fertilizer right. out no, there with didn't. that root system. And then yeah, we did. And mm, then when yeah. we went to 30 inch row beans no. with the strip till and the fertility there, uh, that's been fantastic. Soybeans have such a small root system that putting fertility where that root system is going to encounter it is is a good idea. Yeah. But you're not comparing apples to apples. That was back when our fertility levels were junk. So now we've built everything up, whether it's strip till or conventional till or however, we built it all up. So we don't have any specific data showing side by side, okay, we put on fertilizer versus we didn't put on fertilizer for the soybeans. Where I'm going with this is we have to soil test. I can't make you a recommendation saying you're going to have a good gain because I don't know what you have out there right now. Maybe you have all kinds of fertility, and I'm going to say, oh, yeah. The odds that you're going to gain a lot are not, not great. So we can't, we can't tell you for sure without looking at your soil test. But we do like to put on fertilizer for every single crop we're raising. All right. And I'd say this. If you're thinking, I'm only going to fertilize once every two years, then you've got to look at what's my grain removal for corn and for soybeans and put that much on if you want to stay even. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, okay. Now another another side of this too. Uh, so it sounds like Justin must be getting set up with a strip tillage machine. He said, "How does it work if you've got a twenty-four row planter and a twelve row strip till? And also, do you like liquid or dry fertilizer? Does it matter to you? It's a lot cheaper to set up to do liquid." Okay, it's a lot cheaper to go dry. You can go liquid if you want to, but we basically always go dry with strip till in the fall um and what was the other question well 12 row strip till rig 24 oh, row 12 planter 24. yeah it works out fine if you're running rtk uh it should be pretty good and you'll see uh, i mean you might be off the strip a little bit but as long as you're close then it's usually pretty good yeah, it's just one of those things that we we can definitely do a good job with like that if you've got a lot of terraces and and those types of things uh it, it gets a lot more tricky than if you had flat square fields no doubt about that and uh justin also asked about nitrogen and yeah there's a lot of different ways justin to to put nitrogen out brian had kind of mentioned a little bit too we we a lot of times will put a little bit like you were saying there you could put a little bit in with your pre-emerge herbicide and then come back and and side dress or, or split shot it somehow southeastern iowa 
generally you get significantly more rainfall than what we do uh, five or six hours west of you where we're at. But um, yeah, a lot of different ways you can do the N. And, and you also mentioned uh, using anhydrous ammonia. And uh, I, I don't know, Brian, we've used anhydrous ammonia in the past too. That works fine as well. I, do you really have a preference of which the N source is? Yeah, I do. Whatever's cheapest. So <laughs> anhydrous is great, um, but so is 28%. So is urea. They're just very different products. The handling is dramatically different. So you have to adjust your management. You can't just say, oh, I'm going to run things like I always have, and I'm going to change my source of nitrogen. What I mean by that is just, for example, you can't put 28% or urea on safely in the fall. Um, if you're going to go in the spring, I don't like anhydrous because You'd have to go deep to get it sealed, and a lot of times you don't seal up very well when it's wet in the spring. So it just, I mean, it varies depending on what you're doing. And urea can uh, leave the field from evaporation starting in 48 hours is generally what the research has shown. So very different sources, but I don't really care ultimately. Yeah, thanks for all the questions, Justin. We really appreciate it. Yeah, there are there are a lot of things to consider when you're switching systems up, and it sounds like you're you've got a lot of them at the forefront here, and and you're asking some different folks about different parts of this as far as that fertility plan goes. Hopefully, we gave you uh, enough help there as far as uh, following the rows and those kinds of things. Uh, you'll probably see depending on what brand of equipment you got and what kind of tools you have in terms of uh, GPS and accuracy and those kinds of things. Uh, how you can get on those uh, those paths the best the best way possible and then the last thing you didn't mention there was weed control and that does change there there are some different weeds that you'll see if you've been doing conventional tillage and you go to less tillage you'll see more winter annuals more perennials those types of things so just be on the lookout uh, your first couple of years getting into this system as as things change just a little bit out in your fields be ready to adapt it's Farmer Friday and Ag PhD Radio, and man, we're running out of time fast, but there's still time to get your call in. It's 844-44-AG-PHD, and you can email us, radio at agphd.com. We'll be right back after this. This is Stormy Fields with your weather forecast. Today calls for a high of 68 degrees with sunny skies and not a cloud in sight. Planting windows can close fast, so when you need both speed and accuracy, choose John Deere. Our exact emerge planters and precision ag technologies give you precise seed placement for uniform emergence and the efficiency you need to gain ground. See what you have to gain at johndeere.com slash gain ground. Schedule your service appointment with the experts at CNB and make sure your equipment is in top shape to keep you in the field and ahead of the game. CNB is your local John Deere dealer. Learn more or schedule your appointment online today at DeerEquipment.com. Did you know 20% of stored corn is often overventilated by three points of moisture? On 100,000 bushels, that's a whole semi-load. Stop this problem for less with the end zone for corn from Farm Shop MFG, specially priced at $1,800 per unit while supplies last. When nematode pressure mounts, Seed Applied Trunemco provides assurance. Growers using Trunemco are seeing a difference. From early plant vigor to improved soybean and cotton yield, impressive results are everywhere, and we want to hear about yours. You could win $20,000 and be named a Trunemco Top Grower. Request your starter kit at newfarm.com forward slash top grower, but don't delay. Contest ends November 30th. 
No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited. See full rules. Newfarm.com forward slash top grower. Commodity Classic has everything you need to take your farming operation to the next level. Nationally known thought leaders, a huge trade show with the latest ag innovations, outstanding education that will help you prepare for the next generation of farming and networking with thousands of farmers from across the nation and beyond. Join us in Orlando March 9th through 11th, 2023. Learn more at commodityclassic.com. Go long for season-long foliar disease protection that starts at plant. Only Zyway brand fungicides from FMC provide season-long foliar disease protection from the start. Active ingredient flutriafol moves through your corn plants as they grow for inside-out protection from roots to tassel. Growers and retailers are sharing their Zyway brand fungicide success stories at zyway.ag.fmc.com. Always read and follow all label directions. It takes balance to be successful in farming, because what you get out of it depends on what you put in, and Corteva AgriScience gets that. Introducing Nutrition and Nutrient Efficiency Optimizer, a biological product that naturally captures nitrogen from the air. It's a sustainable way to add balance to your traditional nitrogen methods and maximize your yield potential. Embrace a balanced approach to nitrogen management this season by visiting Corteva.us. Welcome back. You're listening to Ag PhD Radio. It's Farmer Friday here. We're taking your calls and agronomic questions throughout the show today at 844-44-AG-PHD. And man, we have just gotten a ton of emails. Radio at agphd.com is a good way to send those in. Uh, I get this one from DA down in Argentina who says, Hey guys, uh, curious about this. I got a field where zinc and copper are both deficient. I'm wondering, can you feed the plant by applying 100% of what it requires foliar in one shot? Will the plant store it up for later use? It's hard to imagine uh, how I'm going to be able to provide a good source of copper and zinc foliar, but uh, it's worth a shot. All right. Uh, DA, thanks for the question. We really appreciate that. And yeah, we've got micronutrient deficiencies uh, that we've had to address here too. And the cheapest way to do that is dry. And if you've got a dry source, uh, that's fantastic. You can put on more pounds safely. Uh, what I would say with copper foliar is we burned some crop putting too much copper out. So I'm really nervous about getting too carried away. But you think about how much does a crop actually need of zinc and copper? It, it isn't that many pounds. So I, I get where you're coming from here. Could I just do it foliar? I, I think you're going to need some in the soil too to really make it work. But you could do it. I doubt that one shot is going to be sufficient, but if you were going to do that, uh, if I was in corn, for example, I would try and do that early. I love getting those micros into the plant, preferably uh, before we get to V2, V3, when we start getting into ear shoot determinations. Uh, so really early in the season on corn and a crop like soybeans, I would try and get them out there just before the reproductive stages if I could or right around R1 so I could try and force them into the plant about the time it's going to start producing seed. But you, you can play with the timings if you want. In the long run, though, I think you're going to be a lot happier if you build things up in the soil. And the cool thing about that is 
once you get it built up in the soil, we just don't have that much drawdown on micros. So if you've got micros like zinc and copper that don't move around a lot in soil, um, you can generally tend to hold them uh, as long as you got a little bit of organic matter in a, a medium textured soil. So anyway, I, you can give it a try, DA. I, I don't think you're going to be able to do it. If you said yes or no, can I do it? I'd say no. You're not going to be able to hold all of what you need in, in one shot like that. But um, putting some out there is definitely better than not having enough. Now, if you've got plenty of N, P, K, and sulfur, then these micros are going to be even more important. Uh, if you're short to one of those macro primary type nutrients, then uh, I don't know that micronutrients are going to make as much difference for you. So try and make sure you're taking care of the big things. And yeah, over over time, whenever you can afford it, uh, build those build those micros up because uh, I know Neil Kinsey tells stories that he's got farmers that he's worked with for multiple generations where they haven't put copper back on the field other than maybe a, a quart of micros with planting or something like that just a, a a little bit but to any significant degree they haven't put copper on for 20 years so he said that's usually when we build copper up we've probably got a 20-year run of not having to put very much copper back out there so just something to think about if you you're looking long term here all right got this one in from kenneth he said guys just interested in your your soils clinics that you do in the winter and i'm wondering uh i haven't been to one before but do you get a book with the class to show you how to read soil samples and how to correct them? I'm really looking into learning more about my own soil samples and how to get them where they need to be. Hey, thanks, Kenneth. Yeah, we really hope we see you at one of these soils clinics this winter. Uh, we, we get really excited about it because that is our purpose. Our purpose is not trying to sell fertilizer or promote any one nutrient or one product or anything like that. We want to start with the soil. Let's figure out how to take soil samples on our farm that mean the most and how to use those soil samples to change things out there in our soils to ultimately get the most yield, make the most profit, and do the best we can for the environment. So uh, absolutely, we've got a book that we put together with a lot of explanation in there with each nutrient, the levels we're looking for, and some formulas to get you to where you need to be. So yes, it's very simple. By the end of the day, you'll be an expert. It just takes practice. So at that point, we would say, bring some of your soil samples along, walk through them with uh, some of the agronomists that we'll have there and, and experts on, on soil fertility. And as you're there, you're, you'll, you'll be sitting at your desk. You can just work through a couple of your own soil samples and figure out, okay, here's exactly what I think I should do. Then you can run it right past an expert and say, okay, here's what I think for my soil sample. Uh, tell me what you'd do a little different or which order you would fix those things if if I'm on a tight budget or something like that. And man, it's so helpful to do that. And then you can go home and do more of them and, and go through your whole farm and uh, work with your neighbors or your friends there to compare some notes. And man, it, this will literally change the way you farm and will help you so much. It's It's really been one of the best things that we've done. So thanks, Kenneth. I uh, get this one in from Richard. He said, hey, guys, uh, really appreciated your talk the other day on apical dominance. I, I think that's fascinating. Uh, and he said, you guys should do a talk on herbicide symptomology and or maybe how to differentiate systemic herbicide damage versus random damage. 
Just an idea. Hey, thanks, Richard. We really appreciate that idea. And, you know, we do from time to time talk about some of the symptomology. And one of the challenges, I know anytime we come up with a new idea, and this is a great one, uh, but whenever we come up with a new idea uh, like that, I look at our uh, our camera guys and our producers and I'm like, hmm, have they got video on that? <laughs> Can we talk about that on TV yet? Or are we a year off or we have to put that on our list of, all right, in the summer of 2023, here's some things we need to film. Uh, I don't know how much great footage we've got on that, but it's certainly something that could be talked about. Uh, I know there's some great online references, too, out there that you can find if you look for them. I know some of the universities have done a really good job with this. Even some of the uh, ag chem companies have done a, a pretty decent job, too. So take a look online, see if you can find it. And yeah, I wouldn't be surprised if you see that down the road on Ag PhD as well. All right, got uh, some soil samples here from from Stephen, and he is in Virginia. And oh, second time today. Uh, soil samples from Virginia. Different lab this time, though. Uh, Stephen says, All right, guys, uh, take some time to review these. Uh, I, I try and catch you on the radio. Uh, just kind of curious what, what you think about these soils. All right, so we got three different samples here. And the CEC, and so whenever I hear Virginia, I'm thinking, okay, are we, are we heavy soil, are we light soil? The CEC is around three, three to four. So that is a pretty light soil. So lighter, sandier soil. And because of that, I, I just know right away we aren't going to be able to hold a huge amount of nutrients. We're going to have to apply things as we go, which is good and bad. The good is we could feed that crop pretty easy. The bad thing is we have to feed that crop every year. We can't rely on, oh man, there's all kinds of pounds out there. We can take a year off. Like we were talking with Jeremy down in Mississippi and he's like, yeah, guys are going to cut back on P and K applications here because it's so expensive. But if you don't have anything to go on in, in a light sandy soil, you, you don't have that luxury. All right. So the next thing I look at is soil pH and we're down in the low to mid fives. So that's something where lime is going to be important. Uh, now, good good thing here, a CEC of three, you don't have to put on a whole lot of lime to to change that pH. I'd love to see that pH, uh, depending on what crop you're raising here, uh, I'd love to see that pH generally in the 6.2 to maybe up to 6.5 range, unless you're raising alfalfa or a crop that's very sensitive to acid soils. In that case, uh, you probably want to raise it up closer to 7. When I look at your base saturations, things are pretty well in balance. You got about 6% base saturation K, which is right at where we target. And your magnesium percentage is somewhere around uh, 14, I suppose, on average, which, which is a great range to be into. The only thing is your, your calcium is low because your hydrogen's high because you get acid soils. So once we put the lime out there, man, your base saturation is going to be really good. And the challenge for you is just your parts per million of potassium. So for anybody listening, it's got heavier soils. You're used to seeing 150, 250, 300 parts per million of potassium. Well, here in these light soils that Steve's got, uh, it's less than 100. So we're definitely going to have to apply what we need for this year's crop. I'd recommend downloading the Ag PhD Fertilizer Removal app. You can type in what your yield goals are and and you can uh, figure out exactly how much you're going to need. And here it says it looks like you're going to go grow some 80 bushel wheat is what your target is. So, yeah, putting out 60 pounds of potash, 40 pounds of phosphate. I guess if that reaches crop removal rates, uh, so be it. And I could support that. Then on your micros, you get a number of micros that are short here. Uh, and phosphorus is not too bad, actually. So crop removal rate would be great there, too. 
hey thanks for the the soil test there steve thanks for for checking out our show we really appreciate it and uh, and good luck to you it looks like you're doing looks like you're doing good things there oh uh one other comment steve said hey guys just wanted to let you know too i attended your field day back in 2021 and really enjoyed it awesome hope to see you again at a, a future field day coming up the last thursday of july well thanks for listening to our show today Please be sure to join us again each weekday for more Ag PhD Radio.